I will be playing to win and actually have the ability where I win the points rather than other people are losing the points. That was Adam Draper, the man behind investments in Coinbase and Bitcoin in 2012. Adam is the founder and managing director of Boost VC. He's a serial entrepreneur and a fourth generation venture capitalist. For Adam, no idea is too crazy. He wants to build an Iron Man suit and lead the deals in the wildest sci-fi tech investments on Earth and in space. He also has a great podcast called the Boost VC podcast, and I highly recommend that you check that one out. You won't regret it. Let's hear from our sponsors. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. Let the episode begin. Welcome back, everyone. Super excited to have Adam joining the show. And Adam, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's 2022. Do you write your own? Is it? <laughs> what a great, fantastic start. I, th- I think it is. I, I don't know which, uh, which planet you live on. I mean, you're a sci-fi guy. I don't know which calendar you follow, but do you write your own OKRs? And for people who don't know what an OKR is, can you just explain the concept, the objective and key results? Do you do that every year or not bothered with it? Yeah. yeah okay. Or, okay. So it's a good question. I mean, really, we New Year's resolutions is a rebranded OKR or OKR is a rebranded New Year's resolutions, right? Like um, my general answer to that is for Boost VC, um, we work as a team to come up with our OKRs. And so we strat for our annual strategy. Um, and, you know, you have to ask like, okay, what's changed? What hasn't? Like, what was the last year? You have to sort of know where you are as a team to know where you're going, right? Um, and then, and so that's what OKRs would be for us. It'd be like, we have one metric that we focus on at Boost VC. How many companies raise more than a million dollars every six months for our portfolio? So in the last year, we had 52 companies raised more than a billion dollars. And that's not including like Coinbase and there are a couple others it doesn't include, but like the, the uh, but the, that metric has evolved over time 
but we well actually that metric has not evolved over the last three years we've been very focused on that um but what was important has evolved a little bit over time and so um so the okr for us no matter what is every six months we track and try to hit a specific goal of how many companies raise more than a million dollars uh it's good to know what goals are so that you know what's important so you can drop other stuff that's what okrs are good for it's about what you it's about there's a great uh there's a uh the god what's that guy's name um from apple the designer uh he, so he said know. yeah i've he said focus is uh working on something coming up with a really good idea sleeping on it obsessing over it for a full week and then putting it away because you're focused on something else like that that's what focus is and like that's what OKRs give you the ability to do is like being able to focus. Now, my OKRs for like me and life are a little different. Like I, I would say I have uh, I have a I call it a bucket list and uh, I go and I, you know, have ambitious goals that I've set for myself over the last. I, I, I guess I've started this like 10 years ago and I've been doing it for about 10 years now and some of the goals don't, you can't do them in three months. You have to do them in, um, it, it takes years. And you also find over time that the really hard ones get achieved. And the really, the ones you didn't care about as much, but sounded attainable, don't. Uh, and that's always a really important, um, it's important to challenge yourself. like. And it also, every year you read through them, like I, I read through them this year. And some of them you accomplish and you're like, okay, how do I level that up? Like, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that, so I would say OKRs to me, there are two in my world. One is sort of personal life, uh, family uh, life stuff. And one is Boost VC and, and goals. And fortunately, most of those goals are aligned long-term. I know that this will sound very cliche, but I'm asking it because maybe the Europeans need some context. But if you take a basketball analogy and you can, I would love you to tell about your family. Do you feel like kind of like a Stephen Curry that you want to overachieve because you have this sort of genes and environment or how do you, how does that play out? Right? Because obviously you have the name, you have the family genes, but how can you just paint a picture in that as well? In terms of the personal goals, yeah, um, it's great. It's a great question. I'm I'm really lucky. Uh, so my uh, I, my great grandfather was started venture capital on the West Coast. Uh, he actually created the first LPGP structure, which is how all venture capital is set up today, uh, or ninety nine percent of venture capital is set up today. Um, and it was like that fund, it was called Draper Gaither and Anderson. He brought over his son, who's my grandfather, Bill Draper, over from uh, Inland Steel in Indiana, Illinois, in Illinois, um, to uh, to California. Uh, and he he was really uh, the the sort of planted flag. Bill Draper is sort of a a touchstone of, of venture capital to many many people. He is taught, coached helped uh, and invested in many people over the course of the last 70 years. 
And then uh, some of his wins are like, like he backed Activision, uh, Apollo Computers. There are a lot of things that w sort of have fa fallen off. He missed Apple, so got that going for him. Uh, that's a great story. And then, uh, then my, when my grandfather actually went to um, Washington and he worked for the government uh, as the head of the Export Import Bank, he, uh, my my dad would started in venture. And it was around the same time. And my my dad was the first venture capitalist to create an affiliate model. Uh, so at its peak, my my dad at Draper Fisher Jurvetson had 27 different venture funds. Um, I'm giving a whole history just to get to where what like what I guess where I what I feel um, about this. Um, and my dad, my dad was uh, my, and then my grandfather came back into the game, but he didn't want to com uh, compete with my dad, or that's what he claims. Um, but he really, what I think is, he's very good at finding where there he can be a monopoly, and be the only one where capital is being deployed. And so he uh, he went to India with his partner uh, Robin Richards, and uh, who it's another great story. He he, he became partners with her. Uh, after one lunch uh, and he spoke at Stanford Business School and then she like was just tenacious and they became partners and they went over to India and founded like a fund that the first Indian venture capital fund returned 16x the money like it was an awesome fund. Um, I recommend reading his book, The Startup Game. Um, and my dad wrote a book called The Startup Hero. Um, so, okay, so, and then my dad was the first global VC. So he created this affiliate network that actually went global and he realized entrepreneurship was everywhere. And like, there, there's gonna be huge growth all over the planet, especially because of the internet. And uh, so when, when uh, but when I was growing up, venture capital wasn't really a thing. Like if someone asked me, like my friends asked me like what my dad did, uh, I said he's helped really early stage companies. And like, no, no one really cared beyond that. That wasn't, it wasn't popular. It, like startups weren't really a thing. Um, it, and it was against the grain to start a company. I'd say that transition has happened where the social risk to start a company is way lower than it used to be. So, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but like that, like it, there are so many people who feel it's a better pathway to either learning or uh, building value, or uh, it is the best structure to create innovation still. So we can bet that innovation will still be built by the private uh, companies. Um, so your question though, originally was, uh, what, how do I- uh, Do you feel I, the like, pressure essentially? Do I feel, do feel, do like I feel the pressure be... like Steph Curry? You know, uh, I don't, my, my bet is Steph Curry doesn't feel any pressure uh, and and you know, I, I and I bet he. I don't know if it's true, but I bet he tried a couple other things too. I tried to be a professional tennis player. Uh, I uh, started a company uh, called Expert Financial. I failed a, a company called Expert Financial over four and a half years. It was heartbreaking. I think uh, my life. First off, I'm very I'm very lucky, and I'm not lucky because my dad's inventor, my grandfather's inventor. I'm lucky because. My, I have a family that really believes in me and letting me figure it out, right? Like uh, the, it, it ends up being less about what, what they did and more I admire what they did because 
at, at its core, what venture capital is, is you're helping someone who comes to you and says, uh, I'm going to change the world. They say, uh, I'm, I'm I, like every pitch I get to see, I get to see a pitch and they say, hey, I'm going to change the world and this is how I'm going to do it. And uh, at some point, it's just inspiring to be around that energy and these people who are free thinking, like they think for themselves, they, they like the, the, the socially correct thing to do is just like, stay in your hub, you know, like do your thing, whatever, like don't branch out. Um, And like, don't start a company, starting a company is hard and dumb for a very long time. And you have to have so much high conviction in yourself to be able to accomplish it. I, I think that the, I think what I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for is, is the fact that uh, my, my family was so supportive throughout all of my journeys of trying to be whoever I ended up becoming. Um, I've, and then, and then do I, but once I chose, once I went in to venture capital and I realized it's all about ideas, which turns out daydreaming in class, I got really good about thinking about ideas and, uh, and that's all venture capital is. It's figuring out what world this person's going to build and saying, okay, well, what if it works? If it works, the world's better. So we should do this deal. Right. Um, like that's basically the, the filter. And, um, I, I seeded invested after I started, after I, I, I failed at, a specific at my at expert financial building that um, with, with a great team. I'm still like lifelong friends with the team that we had built there. And, um, and we all went on to do great things. But after that, I ended up investing about 20 companies. And uh, I mean, some of those companies are like Coinbase, I see invested in, uh, Eyes and technically, I, I see an investment in Bitcoin. I think the price of the valuation on Bitcoin was less than a hundred million dollars. So, of all of Bitcoin, so like that's pretty good, also, um, as a community. And then, uh, I seeded Amplitude, Benchling, what became uh, Snapchat Spectacles, it was called Virgin's Labs. I seeded uh, Plan Grid, and basically, I mean, like. I was very lucky. It was a good vintage. It was a good year. 2011 was a good year. Um, so I always like going back after I wander a little bit, I like going back to the question, just thinking like, my answer is like, my, my goal is not to be a derivative of my family, but I am in the same business. And I think that that is probably similar to what Steph Curry was thinking. Like, if I if, if you look at it in the last 20 years, the one person who's in, I include LeBron and Kobe and Jordan in this. If you think of who changed the game of basketball the most, it's Steph Curry. And it's because if you track the number of three-pointers shot before he started and after he started, like after his first like four seasons where all of a sudden it turned out if you could shoot 45% from the three-point, three you should do it because – getting 1.5x the amount of points is better than 1x the amount of points if your shooting is equivalent. Um, and, and so I, I, I think it's, uh, it's an important analogy to make, which is just sort of like, yeah, my goal is like, I want to I be as good at this business as I can 
But what you learn about this business is being the best is really about it's a customer service role, right? Like I'm, I, I, I need to be on call for any company at any time. And the more investors, the more companies I invest in, the more people who call me. Um, and so you, you don't scale. So you have to figure out how to scale that number of investments in a quality way. Um, and you just want to keep, and then it's, it's become even more like, I don't like the word saturated, but it is saturated. Like there's so many investors now. I'm not only, it's, it's in the competing world, like you're competing with other funds, but now every individual is able to invest in any startup. And that I would say most information is pretty transparently out there. So you really want to add value to the companies. So my answer is this. Venture capital is awesome. I mean, just rem just remind you that I have like 50 questions. So I hope you get asked a good answer on every question. But I think it's it's spot on because I think if I had to summarize all that reflection, maybe it's like it's as big of an achievement just staying in the game because the game is getting played faster. There's more people involved. So just being an important player in VC actually should mean that you've done pretty well because now you have tigers running around giving checks to everyone. Um, obviously, I, I think I, I think the the truly unique. Someone always said corrected me once when I used the word unique, and it didn't quite mean unique, but unique because I believe we are the one of one family that is four generations of venture capital. But the unique thing about that is that we have been able to be in the market and play well for all those generations. Um, and I, I think they're, that's fascinating. We just, we like people, we like doing deals and we like, uh, imagining a better future. And like my, my all my siblings are venture capitalists too. Uh, and so that all, yeah, it, Jesse runs Halogen Venture Partners, um, Billy runs Path VC and, uh, we've, we've all just sort of come, go, gone our own road and tried different things along the way, but we all bridged back because this business plays to our strengths. Amazing. I have so many fun questions that I'm very excited to ask. I want to, maybe since you mentioned Bitcoin and Coinbase, uh, I remember when I was studying studying at UC Berkeley, we had John Doerr or he gave a lecture and he, he can always tell the Google story, right? And I, and I wondered if, can Adam always tell the Coinbase story? Just like if, if we forecast, can Adam at 60 come to university if I have children and say I invested in Coinbase and also tell the story because it's a great story. But I just think it's an interesting question because maybe it could be that story, right? You, you know, what's interesting is first, yes. And the reason is uh, I believe they have a compounding moat that will continue to grow in that space of onboarding the world to a decentralized financial platform. Um, and I believe it's, you know, it's going to be bigger than anyone's ever could imagine. And I think it's, you know, not a, a hundred billion dollar company. I think it's a trillion dollar company. And I think it's, uh, they, they're doing something that is truly important, but I think it's interesting for two reasons. One is I always thought about venture capital when, when, you know, as I was growing up and I realized at some point that all VCs were defined by one or two deals. Uh, like my dad was able to point at uh, Skype, Hotmail, 
um like those were the like hey i've known for skype and that's the beacon thing right like you become a beacon because of those things my dad sent by the way since has i mean I, I wrote a whole tweet storm on how my dad's the goat of venture capital because he just absolutely destroyed in the last 10 years but like um what was interesting was everyone kept saying uh do you realize you made the most life uh, changing and like career defining investment of your, your life. And I kept saying, boy, I hope not. The, the, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, and, and not because I don't, I, I think I still am very bullish on Coinbase. I think it's got a lot of legs to run. And I think people don't quite understand how important it is yet. Um, but it's because, I still got a lot of legs to run too. I got, I got, I got some more, uh, more, more investing to do. So, uh, and I, you know, the strat, yeah. So that, so my answer is, I do believe that Coinbase will be one of the category defining companies that I will always be able to point to. Uh, I also hope that some of the other companies who I believe are incredibly solving incredibly important problems will also be is it too wild to say out loud that you want to be like the first investor on mars or something do you feel too young to say that or do you actually think there's a chance like if you're trying to be honest about the question and be realistic okay so so i've thought about this a fair amount and so good question um not about being the first investor on mars i think i think there's a question of do you want to go to mars like that's that's a question and so i had this vivid dream like this vivid dream and uh and you know I've, I've backed a bunch of space companies i'm very excited about the exploration of space i think it's a, a place where if you don't want to be on earth you have a chance to go somewhere else and that's exciting um and we and we we were on this we were on the ship and we went and like it was the whole like years you're in space or whatever to get to mars and then we get there and you know what? Not much happens on Mars. It's a little boring. Uh, and I was there and I was like, I'm a little bored. And then I got on another ship and went back to Earth. And I was like, that was really interesting. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have expected that. But I think I'm meant to be on Earth. And so I don't think I'm going to be the first investor on Mars. Now, am I going to be the first investor who flies a jetpack on Earth? Probably. Am I going to be the first investor who, you know, might go to the moon? Maybe. Um, like, there. am I going to be the first investor who, like, does a deal at the bottom of the ocean? Probably. Like, I would say the, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel there's, there's a lot of exploration left to do on Earth. And I still, I still am definitely going to be supporting founders going out of space. And I hope they get there and they enable others to get there. I just realized recently I'm probably not going to be leaving Earth anytime soon. There is a very great analogy because uh, coming from Norway, we have such rich polar uh, history. So Amundsen was the first in Antarctica. And if you read those documents on how that felt, that trip, it wasn't a good trip, right? It was terrible. Mm -hmm. It was like the worst pain you can feel. So probably you can relate that to being the first people on Mars, right? But yeah. I, and, I think, and like some, someone's like someone's gonna be great at that. I just realized I don't think I'm the person who's gonna be great at it. Like I, I 
And so, so, so I'm like, Hey, we'll, we'll leave it to, you know, when, when there's new arcades on Mars or something, I'll go there. Like that, that'll be my move. You basically be the, uh, uh, I, I'm not saying this is in a bad way, but maybe you can be the Richard Branson in Mars and be like the guy <laughs> when the thing is cleared, you can have some fun and do some investing and set, et cetera. But let's have, let's have a great topic. If you have, if you pair, uh, Space exploration with ocean exploration, and you pair Ocean X Ray Dalio stuff with Elon Musk SpaceX stuff, and let's say that Fed actually have a limited supply. We know we don't. You don't have that. You can print as much money as you want. It seems so you can fund both the ocean and space. But if you are capped limit-wise on the capital, where would you like to bring the money? Do you feel like ocean is vastly undiscovered yet? And after you answer that, please uh, add on Tony, John, and Manoline, guys, etc. So I've, this is, again, something I've thought a lot about in the past, which was my question was less who deserves more than why does space get so much? Um, and... <clears throat> and the reason it turned out was both NOAA, which is the, and it, this is US focused conversation. So NOAA is the uh, National Oceanic Association A. I forget what the last A stands for. Um, and then NASA, both were founded around the same time. Like these two government agencies, one was focused on space, one was focused on the ocean. And, but when JFK was president, it turned out NASA captured the imagination of the people saying this, and, and also Sputnik captured the competition of the people where suddenly we were, we, we, to be, you know, American, you needed to be like, yes, we have to go to space. And we, and then Noah actually had a couple failed things that happened in no, like a couple of people died on these submerged uh, living underneath the water things. And, um, and so there was a bunch of failed stuff and a bunch of successful stuff. And obviously the money's gonna go more towards the successful things, especially the things that are capturing your imagination. Now that stuff compounded over the last, since whatever, 20, uh, 1960 is, is like absolute, it's crazy how much more funding NASA gets now. And so that's obviously the, the imbalance. Like I still, we still don't, we still have not, we don't have credible scans of the entire ocean. We still don't know what's down there. We in 2020 discovered a new breed of orca whale. Like the orcas aren't like some tiny bacteria in the ocean, right? Like, like orca whale is like a, it's a, it's a gigantic, it's a whale, right? Um, because you're and, talking and, about and, the Mariana and, Trench, right? So just for people who want to YouTube Mariana Trench, they can also see if you go deep enough down, like it's yeah. a lot. It's also just like, it's as it's like as deep as Everest is tall or whatever. Like the it's there's just so much to yet to be discovered in not, not only like everywhere. Like I think that there's just tons of stuff that's been undecided. And once you start diving in here, by the way, what led me to the ocean as a, thesis, which I think it's it's yet to be discovered by most venture capitalists, is, well, first, there's this very simple fact that 80% of the planet is ocean. 
and we know nothing about it. Like that is a world I like to play in. I like to play in the uncertain and unknown and like where there's uncertain and unknown, eventually people create standards and you make, you can make a lot of money. You can also create a lot of innovation. Um, and then I, and the second thing was one of the things was, um, every person I talked to was so in the, like who was working in ocean startups was so passionate about the ocean. They defined themselves. Their identity was wrapped up in being a part of the ocean. Um, and they've been oceanographers for 13 years. They've been, you know, like it's, it's these amazing stories of, oh, I've cruised, I've, I've, I've crossed the Atlantic ocean seven times. I've, you know, like every single founder was like obsessed in some capacity. But the first thing, the primary reason that I got to the ocean was I, I, I had this, uh, I went deep on climate change and I, uh, and if you go deep on climate change, what you, you first you have to make a decision do you believe the climate is changing because of humans or not um and or first is the climate changing yes or no then is are humans is it because of humans and then why is it because of humans and uh and so my answer to why is it because of humans after i got through the top funnel um was i was like well the ocean if you read any science book from like seventh grade the ocean is the regulator of the Earth's temperature, and it's sick. Like uh, at the simplest version of what I can say, in my thesis is: is like the ocean's sick. There's a lot of plastic in it, but there's a lot of opportunity too. And so, what can we do to make us care about the ocean? Which has led me to a thesis around ocean ownership. I believe that we need to create an ownership model for the ocean, um, and I believe it's my thirty-year project, basically. Like. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of, you know, resilience. And eventually, I believe you or I will be able to own plots of ocean land. Um, and because we own it, we'll take care of it, right? Like, that's how it works. And so I believe it's an economics problem, not a technology problem. That was a... Can I, can I just quote you, Adam? Because you said that, and, and then I want to talk about Manolin also, because you said that the ocean is a $100 trillion opportunity and probably the largest opportunity in your lifetime. And if we have that quote in mind, can we also talk a bit about John, Tony, and when are you coming to Norway to check out some salmon farming? Uh, so I would love to, and I, th I think that should be on my, my trip list for 2022. That's a good idea. Um, I'll come out to Norway. There, you know, We've invested in a few things because of Norway is the head of ocean like life out there. Um, so I think it's the, I, okay, I, I think the first 10 years of my career were defined by crypto. And I think that the end, but it was overlooked for eight years. Like it was completely overlooked and underfunded and no one cared. And like, honestly, it was a little depressing at times. Like being completely ignored by the mass market is not the easiest task where everyone goes, are you still doing that Bitcoin thing? Um, and like, and you're like, ah, that hurts. Like, okay, that sucks. Um, but yes, I am. And it's great. Uh, and these are the reasons why. Like defending is so, it's so hard defending why you're still in it, right? Because it's a belief. It's a core belief. It becomes a piece of like what you are. And having that like shaken is always, it's always a disturbing moment. Now, now that I've gone through that though, I believe 
that the next 10 to 20 years will largely be defined by my, my techniques at innovating in the ocean. And I believe Web3, crypto, it, it's going to be play a fairly large role in that. Um, but I also think that oceans in general is the opportunity. It's 80% of the planet. It's already, uh, if you just measure what it is today, if you measure like ocean salmon farming and uh, shipping and logistics, and like if you just measure the markets that are dependent on oceans today, um, it's a trillion dollar market. Uh, but if, if you believe like I do that if people start to invest capital in time in a very specific place that markets grow, uh, it's a hundred trillion dollar market because there's so much yet to be discovered. And that's, that's what I was trying to get across is like today. Yes. It's only, it's only a trillion dollar market. How ridiculous is that to say only a trillion dollar market, like the, it's a freaking trillion dollar market. Um, and the, and, and I'm, I, what I'm saying is the growth of this, once we figure out how to unlock capital and by the way, primary reason that capital is not unlocked is always regulatory in every industry. And right now it's because everyone believes the only way that you can build in the ocean is uh, as a nonprofit, essentially, because the ocean is largely a nonprofit. It's the tragedy of the commons. And so we have to solve that. If we solve that, climate change goes away. We live in oceans. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and that trash heap goes away. So like, I'm, yeah, that's my thesis. That's what I'm going for. And that's why I believe it's a hundred trillion dollar opportunity because I believe if you just invest like a tiny amount in ocean-based stuff today, in 20 years, it's worth a hundred to a thousand X that, right? Like just own something, do something in the ocean. Just a final theme, Adam, because we had so much fun. Let's talk about tennis because I know you love tennis. And if, if you're going to use tennis as an analogy, there are games where you're getting beaten, you have break balls, uh, and I want you to relate a tennis game to your life because we can then pair it up to life philosophy. So if you go broad, when do you play your best tennis in life? How does it feel and how do you make a great tennis? How Or what do you need to have in order to play tennis well? What needs to be in your life, right? Family, friends? So someone... Someone wrote a really great article about tennis and it was um, 80% of tennis ends up being uh, at the beginning of your career ends up being you're playing not to lose uh, instead of playing at, 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 into, instead of playing to win. Um, and it's it, there, there's a fundamental shift where you're sort of essentially you're into, whether you're good or bad or whatever, like you're you're learning most points are one because the other person lost it rather than they won it. And, and so it was a, it's a, it's an 80, 20 rule basically. Like, and, and at some point when you become a professional, it becomes 80, 20, the other way. Um, and, and where you are winning the points, you are not losing, you're not default. They are, they aren't losing to you. You're beating them. Um, and so the best of the best aren't playing the, the, both sides are always playing to win, right? But the structure of the actual win for the best of the best ends up being able to play, uh, play, playing with winning, being able to beat them rather than uh, them losing to you. 
And it's a, it's a psychological difference. I feel that the first seven years of my career was really 10 years of my career, even up, up until about last year, I was, I was playing not to lose. Like I was basically playing a game. I was going big. I was swinging big. I was trying stuff. I was doing a lot of stuff, but now I, now I'd say if I were to analogize it to the market, like I think that I've worked my way up the, the ranks a little bit in the, the, uh, in the system. Um, and I, I believe now, like we start to play the fun games where I get to play to win. And I, I, I think that for the last seven years, I've just been, I've been trying, I've learning, I think playing, playing not to lose is about learning. It's about seeing what works for you. What doesn't, how does the market work? How does each player play individually? Like, and I, I believe that the next 10 years of my career, 20 years, 30 years, hopefully I, you know, <laughs> hopefully I do this a while. Um, I will, I will be playing to win and actually have the ability where I win the points rather than other people are losing the points. Um, I think that would be my best analogy for, for tennis specifically in my world of business. It's, Play, play to you. You always want to be playing to win the points, but it turns out they are losing the points more often. And being a good investor, genuinely being a good investor, it's really about them just losing the points and you you winning by default. But being a great investor, I think is really it's about playing to win and you are winning the points. You're That's defining the market. That's amazing, Adam. And just a, the final question, because I love that analogy. Can you push it up to life philosophy even, and also explain to people whether they're interested in business or entrepreneurship that you will have break balls, you will have sets you lose. Maybe that's a startup that fails. So you sort of have to persist in order to get where you are. So just to wrap it up, maybe. Um, yeah, life... I mean, giving me, uh, I'm, I'm still early on in my life, in my career. I, I feel, I feel a veteran in some ways and also a, uh, a novice in others. Um, the, the things that ended up working had the most friction and uh, the, and they, they took the most, and, and as you, when you're early in your career, you're doing a lot of things, sort of tuning an algorithm and trying your hardest. But what you learn is we get paid to make good decisions. So all of those things you're doing is actually about building conviction to make one decision. And it's what deal for VCs, it's what deal to do. Right. And you have to figure out what you believe that the market doesn't in that conviction building process. I think the scarcest asset on the planet is true, high conviction decisions. I think most people flippantly will pass their decisions to others. Um, and it's really about seeing the beginning of that process is really about seeing where the world disagrees with what we, you believe and starting to pick at that and see what where it goes. Um, so my, I'm, I, I'm not, I, I've separated from the idea of tennis of, you know, it, it's a game where you win, lose, it's a mental game and it is physical also, but the, I, the true idea is like, 
it's an endurance game. I wrote a blog post about like the, the world of business is an endurance game. The world of life is an endurance game. Like I think the reason I have like a vendetta against education. And the reason is that I think that they, they train you to feel good about short-term thinking and the longer term you can think the better you will perform in life and be sought after. And I think if you can think two years longer than your friends, you're going to do great. If you can think 10 years longer than your friends, you're going to be exceptional. Um, and if you think 20 years longer than your friends, like it, and a big, a big part of it is sort of like knowing that you are training the right things every day. Like you're going to have down days. You're going to have days you doubt yourself. You're going to have crap. Like, I mean, same with tennis. Like you're going to have crap days where your forehand doesn't work. You're going to have crap days where like literally your brain cannot function and you don't know why. Like you cannot, you could beat it against the wall for hours and it just will not work because you're preoccupied normally. Like you filled the space of, I think it was a computer. Like a lot of people use, uh, memory they always they, they they have really good memory recall i have really crappy memory recall i have really good cpu usage like or gpu usage where it's like about the solving of the problem i have a good system about the memory i have a horrible system and it's like i optimized for that like i optimized for not really remembering things well and like ignoring things that i didn't think were as as important um and so my at the end of the day, like play endurance games like that and be, be, a, be a part of it. Like try to try to win. And at the beginning, I would say play endurance games, uh, play not to lose and then play to win. And like, that would be my sequence of like, like of, of life. I would, I would play, play games that you could play for the next 70 years, like, like tennis or golf or whatever, like, things that won't like fatigue your body, things that won't uh, like, and that are meant, venture is also not for everyone. Like, I, I don't know, like I, you learn very quickly that it's a customer service job. And I think people think it's gloriful because sometimes you get a lot of money for supporting someone for 10 years, but you're supporting someone for 10 years. <laughs> like, uh, so, so like there, there's a lot of, shit that goes in the middle of that and like the uh and the so i i think i think for any job any career i think it really is about playing an endurance game though and making sure that you're setting yourself up for the long haul there are going to be people who outperform you in the short term i mean we were an accelerator so boost vc itself and this i I think we should will end soon but like Boost VC itself, like we started as an accelerator when there were like 15 other accelerators. Actually, there's still like 500 other accelerators at that time. And we weren't, we weren't the best known. We weren't the, and we're still, we're still not the best known, but like we put one foot in front of the other and stayed who we were, where we were supporting crazy ideas and crazy markets. And like, we focused on this part of the ecosystem that everyone ignored where venture capitalists didn't realize it. No one realized it. And because of that, it was hard. Like it was difficult because we had to tell the the community of founders that they're doing the right thing when the entire world was saying they were doing the wrong thing. And like those things are hard, but slowly but surely, like a lot of accelerators just fell off. Like they just stopped and we're still here. So I would say this is a good example of like we were playing not to lose. Right. Like I was just around for long, long enough where a lot of people just lost. 
over a significant period of time. Like they just stop doing it and they evolve to something else or they um, in the program still, some of them still last, but we stayed our course. We kept going. We were like, Hey, that, that is North. We're going to keep going in that direction. And uh, you, you do that for 10 years. You put one foot in front of the other. Eventually you get somewhere. You might not get where you're going, but like you get somewhere. And, and so we, that's what Boost VC has been. Like we were succeed. We have been successful by not losing and by continuing and being able to sustain. And I believe that the next phase, if I can unlock it, is I get to start to play to win and it's going to be really fun. And like we built trust for 10 years the hard way. I built an engine that I believe is a money printing device. Like I believe in what we have done and what we are doing. I also, I mean, I, in uh, some pieces of it were incredibly hard. Like if our forehand wasn't working, uh, we had to learn a backhand, right? Like if, if the, if, if the, if the serve was garbage, like we, we had to learn how to move our legs. Um, the, and, and so we, we, we trained each piece of the game and I feel right now, like how we are, how we are positioned, like it, we, we, the, at the base of what Boost VC has always been. And like, it took us a long time to realize what we do best, what we do best. So it's really, when, when you're building something, you try to figure out what you do best, better than the market, better than everyone. And the thing that we do best is we believe first. We believe in the unbelievable things. We believe in the idea that the world could change in a specific way. And we do that better than I believe anyone else on the entire planet. And that belief has turned into a community. And now that community has a chance to go win. And like, that's how I feel about us anyway. Perfect ending, Adam. I will uh, not bet against you, that's for sure. But uh, I think it was so much fun having you on. So it was uh, very insightful and I very much appreciate you joining the show. It was a pleasure hosting you as well. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Over the last years, we have tried to give our community the best possible content on business, investing, and entrepreneurship. If you have enjoyed this free content over time and find it valuable, it would be amazing if you want to support us by making a small donation in our Patreon. Just click the link in the description to have a look. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel. This episode was produced by William Fransen.